Dennis. You did a fantastic job. It won't be the last time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, Rick's already prayed, and this message is a little longer than I expected. I'm going to have to shorten this one as well. Uh, these verses are where we're going to be this morning. I've titled this message, The Pursuit of Truth, or The Testimony of a Well-Educated Man. I kind of like that title better. The Testimony of a Well-Educated Man. And that's what we see here. Luke is recording for us the testimony of Apollos. Um, his early life, um, how he was instructed in the Lord, and how he came to faith in Jesus, and the ministry that he was involved with after that. Um, you know, some people claim that there is no truth. We've heard that, probably all of us, or that your truth can be different than my truth, can be different than Maria's truth, can be different than Soren's truth. The idea there is that truth is relative. It's subjective and not objective, hey? But Jesus makes very different claims in the New Testament. Very different claims. You know, no one really lives their life that way as if truth is subjective. No one um, hooks a garden hose up to their car into the gas tank and turns on the faucet, right? No, everyone knows if you have a gasoline engine, it takes gas to run that car. Practically speaking, nobody lives their life that way. But that idea that truth is relative is not all that new. Pontius Pilate, standing in the presence of Jesus, Jesus who has just told Pilate, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. That is a startling claim, isn't it? And then he says, in fact... And then he says, everyone, he says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate responds, what is truth? What is truth? Now that's either in a fatalistic disbelief that there is truth that can be claimed, or a disdain for the fact that Jesus just claimed truth as he did, or some mixture of both, we really don't know. But I want to state plainly that there is truth, and you can know it. Jesus says as much in John 8.32 when he says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's claiming that there is truth, you can know it, and when you know that truth, it will set you free. Jesus said to those who needed salvation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is powerful claim, isn't it? Now, either he's lying, or he's crazy, or he's telling the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus prayed for his disciples to the Father before his crucifixion. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth in John 17, 17. So this message is for the believers here today. And if there's one here today that is yet to trust Christ, this message is for you as well. The pursuit of truth should be of the greatest importance to you today, believer or unbeliever. And the pursuit of truth should lead you to Jesus Christ. 
That's the statement I want to make today. You could say it the other way around. If you pursue Jesus, he will lead you into all truth. He won't lead you into error. If, if you say, God, I think God is leading me to do X, and it's not according to Scripture, guess what? That's not God's leading. He'll lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Now, how does this relate to our text this morning? I believe that Apollos was a man who lived his life in pursuit of truth, and that pursuit led him to Jesus, and it enabled him to lead others to Jesus as well. Apollos is mentioned by name in 10 verses in the New Testament. He's mentioned in other ways in more verses, but he's mentioned specifically by name in 10 verses. Two of those verses we have in front of us this morning, one of them was read for us. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. We meet Apollos here at Ephesus. When you get to Acts 19 and verse 1, it says it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, and so we take leave of Apollos in this section of Scripture at Corinth. We leave Apollos at Corinth. We meet him in Ephesus, we leave him at Corinth. Those are two of the verses that we find Apollos mentioned by name. And it is in Corinth where Apollos watered what Paul had planted. Paul goes into Corinth and he spreads gospel seed and people come to faith in Christ and Apollos comes behind him and he waters that seed. But it's God who gave the increase. God who caused the growth. So I, I want us to look at Apollos here this morning in, in this way. That we're looking at the testimony of how a pursuit of the truth led a well-educated man to Jesus. In three ways, God used his education, God used his personal character, his personal makeup, and his passion to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. Apollos had three forms of education, progressions in his knowledge, you might say. Look at uh, Acts 18.24, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. I'm going to call this first form of education a general education. And what an education it was for Apollos, right? We hear the term GED. Apollos had a wonderful general education. He was an Alexandrian by birth. He was from Alexandria, a city known as a center of learning in that day. There was a great library there. You've probably heard of it, the Library at Alexandria. Have you ever, I sat and thought, when I first heard about the library at Alexandria, I thought, wow, what stuff must have been in there? What stuff could you have read or learned that got burnt in the fire when that library burned? This city is one of the most important and influential cities in the world at that time. It was named after its founder, Alexander the Great. It had a large Jewish population. It's not the first time we encountered someone that was from Alexandria. In Acts 6, verse 9, there were some Jews that were a part of something called the synagogue of the freedmen that were debating with Stephen about the things that Stephen was proclaiming. And those Jews that were a part of that um, synagogue of the freedmen, some of them were from Cyrene and some of them from Alexandria and two other places. So the people from Alexandria were known to be very learned people, very educated people. had a large Jewish population. It was on the southern shores of the Mediterranean Sea, the north shore of Africa. It was a city of Egypt. Um, 
Adam Clark, in his commentary on the Bible, says there was a famous academy there called a museum in which a society of learned men devoted themselves to philosophical studies. He also goes on to talk about the fact that some of the most prestigious schools of antiquity flourished there. One of the seven wonders of the world was there. The lighthouse of Alexandria stood something like 350 feet tall, and you can go where that lighthouse was standing around that island, I guess, and go scuba diving. I looked it up. You can see pictures there of these things that fell off of that lighthouse, these statuettes and big blocks of stone. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, this lighthouse at Alexandria. Now, we can't be 100% sure, but it would seem as though Apollos was schooled there at Alexandria, where, where there was a lot of prestigious learning, um, a lot of prestigious schools there. And whatever he would have learned in Alexandria, he took full advantage of. And I'm terming this his general education. It would have been an impressive education, this general education. You know, Paul writes of some folks when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.7, and he says that they are people who are always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. What a statement. Well, that's not Apollos, is it? That's not what we see. We see this progression of his knowledge. He has this general education at Alexandria, and his education extends beyond there. It says in verse 24 also he was an eloquent man. That means he could take the things he learned and communicate them, right? I'm struggling to do that this morning, right? I labor at that. But he could do it easily. He was a very gifted speaker. A very gifted speaker. Now, like Apollos, we all have what many call a general revelation of God. I'm calling that this morning a GED in the things of God. This general education is both internal and external. God's Word says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. He has placed eternity in the heart of man. That means we know internally this isn't all there is. We know it. We can't escape it. This isn't all there is. When Paul writes to the Romans... In Romans chapter 1, he says, That which may be known of God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. We're without excuse. We, we know internally. That section of Scripture there in Romans says we know it internally. And we know it internally because of what God has made externally. We can look at creation and see that there is a God and we're accountable to Him. Why don't people make use of that general education? Or why don't we make use of it sooner? I didn't come to faith until I was an adult. What, what took me so long? Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 tells us what takes so long. It says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. I'm, I'm talking today about truth, right? I'm saying that you can know truth. And I'm saying that 
If you follow truth, if you pursue truth, it should lead you to Jesus. And if you pursue Jesus, it should lead you to the truth. But we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That means we hold it down. Do you ever go swimming in the summertime as a little guy or a little girl or as an adult maybe? And you try to hold down a basketball or a floaty underwater? It's hard to do, isn't it? I've got a question for you this morning. If that's you, if that's you as an unbeliever and you've been holding down the truths about God that is evident within you and evident around you, and if that's you today as a believer, and there's truths you know that you've been holding down, you've been suppressing them, my question is, haven't you grown weary of trying to hold back the truth of God? That's my question. Scripture says in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you look out some clear night at the Milky Way, it is evident that there is a God. I can remember milking cows for a guy in high school, and I'd go out and feed his cows 10.30 at night, and I'd shovel that silage off of a pickup truck onto a wagon for the cows. And sometimes I would lay down in that corn silage because I just ran the silo to fill up that truck because that silage was hot and it was in the middle of winter, I'd lay down in that size and I'd look up at the Milky Way. And I knew, as a young guy, there's a God. There's a God. You can't escape it. We don't need an Alexandrian education to follow the truth. And if we had such an education, it should not stop us from following the truth. Truth and the acceptance of truth always leads to greater truth. We just know that from arithmetic in school. 2 plus 2 equals 4. 4 plus 4 equals 8. Then you go to division and long division, and on you go. I wasn't very good at math, but it's progression, right? This is true, and because this is true, I know this is true, and because that is true, I know that is true. Truth and the acceptance of truth always leads to greater truth. Apollos pursued truth and it led him to Jesus. So he had a GED, a general education, and he, and he, and he got that at Alexandria. And he had a godly education. I think that was in part of Alexandria as well. I would call this a capital G-E-D. He had a godly education. It says that he was mighty in the Scriptures in verse 24. Mighty in the scriptures. That word mighty is like dynamite, right? He was dynamite, powerful in the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament inside and out. A couple of years ago, we went through the book of Leviticus, and I was struggling to get my mind around, what is all of this about? This man, Apollos, he could have schooled me. He could have said, here's what you need to know about this, and this is how this all fits. This man was dynamite in the scriptures, powerful. It says in verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That word instructed is catecheo. Catecheo. Catechism. He was catechismed. He learned by oral repetition, by nuanced repetition. That's what he learned. That's the way he learned. By word of mouth, this oral instruction skillfully brought him from one level to another level 
to reach precise and growing understanding of the things he was being taught. This is what this word means when it says in verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, I listened to someone this week that was teaching on this, and he said that Paul, he pointed out that Paul learned by revelation from God, and he says as much in Galatians chapter 1, the gospel I preach is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. He made the distinction between an apostle and Apollos here. An apostle received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. Apollos was instructed by another person. He was instructed by another person. We shouldn't be surprised that God uses human instruments to instruct us in the way of the Lord. Hey, We shouldn't be surprised by that or offended by that. We, we can get that way. I can remember the first person I tried witnessing to when I got saved was my next oldest brother, Mike, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this with you. And it went terribly, and I couldn't figure out what went on. And it was years of me trying to witness to him. And then somewhere along the way, after much prayer for my brother, I realized he's my older brother. I'm his younger brother. In his mind, I'm not supposed to be teaching him anything. So I prayed, God, help me to remove that stumbling block. Well, my God allowed for that to happen. It wasn't very long, just a week or two after me praying that. My brother calls me and says, Dan, if I get saved, it's not going to be you saving me. There's that stumbling block. Let me pull that out of the way, Mike. I said, Mike, you're absolutely right. I couldn't save myself. I can't save you. It wasn't very long after that. My brother trusted Jesus as his Savior. But we shouldn't be surprised that God uses human instruments to teach us the things of God. And we shouldn't be offended by that. And as those of us who are trying to instruct others, we should be sensitive to the fact that people are kind of offended by that. And we can be asking for God to remove any stumbling block that we might be. Because we can be a stumbling block. So here's this man, Apollos. He was mighty in the Scriptures, dynamite. He was instructed by oral repetition by nuanced repetition, in the way of the Lord. Now, when I first read that, in the way of the Lord, or when you first read it, you might think, well, he must be a believer in the way of the Lord. But you have to go to that law of first mention that people mention in Bible college, right? The law of first mention. Where is this first mentioned? In Genesis 18, 19. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. And in 2 Kings 21, it's in other places in the Old Testament. I'm just going to share a few. In 2 Kings 21, 21 through 22, there, it, there in 2 Kings is recording this King Ammon comes to reign in Jerusalem, hey? And he only reigns two years. And it says this of King Ammon, For he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and served the idols that his father had served, and worshipped them. So he forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Boy, are those two verses that can preach, hey? When I was typing these verses up, I thought, that, that, those two verses just preach a message all by themselves, powerfully so. He walked in all the way that his father walked and served idols that his father had served. You know, you don't have to serve the same idols that your folks did. 
You don't, I'm not knocking on your folks. I'm not knocking on my folks. But if they weren't chasing after godly things, we don't have to follow after that pattern. And we ought not to. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. The way of, the course of life. That word, the way of, means that. The mode of action. The beaten path of the Lord. That's what that literally means. He didn't walk in the beaten path marked out before him that he could have walked in. There's a path for us to follow. In New Testament, it says, these things were written for our example that we should not lust after simple things as they also lusted. There's a path to follow. So this is not just a New Testament phrase. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. This is Old Testament thinking here. And being fervent in spirit. What a guy this is, right? This way of the Lord carries on into the New Testament, though it does. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Pointing toward the Messiah, you come to Mark chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of John the Baptist's ministry, and it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. But it says he was, being fer- he was fervent in spirit. In other words, the word of God for him was like a fire shut up in his bones. He had to let it out. I don't know if I have ever had that to the extent that, that this man has had. But to some extent, Patrick preached the last two weeks in a row. It's hard not to be preaching every Sunday. It's hard not to do that. It's like a fire shut up in your bones. You have to let it out. Jeremiah speaks of something like that. Jeremiah is in a tough spot. He, Jeremiah is a prophet that goes through some very difficult things. He proclaims the word of God, and what does he get in return? Heartache, trouble, beatings, insults, mocking. And he comes to this place where he's gonna, he makes this complaint before God. He says, God, this is my lot. I'm proclaiming your word, and this is what happens to me. I said a little thing in my Bible so I could just read it to you. Jeremiah 20, verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. I'm proclaiming your word, but it results in this. Then Jeremiah says this in verse 9. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, for I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. So much a contrast, right? Compared to someone that's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness like holding down a basketball. And here's Jeremiah talking about the things of the Lord, the truth that he has shut up in his bones. If he tries holding on, he can't. He has to speak it out. That's Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7 through 9. In Acts 18, it says here of this man, Apollos, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. I think this is the thing that it's talking about. The word of God was like this for this man. He had to speak it out. He couldn't help himself. I think he comes to Ephesus for that purpose, to speak the word of God. 
And so he put to use his eloquence and instruction and fervor to speak and to teach. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Not everything concerning Jesus, his knowledge was incomplete. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John, it says. He knew the baptism of repentance. But what he spoke about Jesus, what he spoke about the word of God, he spoke accurately, with exactness. He was factually precise. This man was such a powerful speaker that he gained his own followers. I don't think he desired to do that. Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he has to tell the Corinthians, you got problems. He says, I love you guys, but you got problems. There's factions among you. Some of you say, I am of Paul. Others of you say, I am of Apollos. And others of you say, I am of Cephas, that's Peter. And others of you say, I am of Jesus. Look at the company that Apollos is in there. Paul, Peter, Jesus, Apollos. This was a gifted man, a powerful speaker. He had a general education that was out of this, out of this world, right? Amazing. He had a capital G, a godly education, that was phenomenal as well. But this idea, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, it's not a good thing, and Paul rebukes him for it, but it's a common thing, isn't it? Even today, I listen to so-and-so. I listen to such-and-such. It's common, very common. I have another question for you. Do you have a capital G education, a godly education? Most of us spend much of our lives on trivia. On trivia. I can give testimony to that. I've spent a lot of my life on trivia. We know a whole lot about all kinds of things, but avoid the thing we need the most to know. Jesus said it this way in Mark 8.36, What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But Apollos was a man in pursuit of the truth, and that led him to Jesus. What I'm saying with regard to that is what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says to Timothy, he knows that Timothy's grandma Eunice and mother Lois instructed him in the scriptures, taught him in the way of the Lord, instructed him like Apollos was instructed. And Paul notes to Timothy, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. That's the point I'm making with regard to this godly education. A general education should give you truth that leads to a godly education and that should lead you to Jesus. The pursuit of truth should lead you to Jesus. And if you're pursuing Jesus, it should lead you to the truth. So these are three aspects of Apollos' education I see here. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly, it says in verse 26 in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God 
more accurately. I want to talk about two characteristics of this man, two character traits in this man that God uses to bring him to faith in Christ. I could probably, if I was to ask, if someone could give testimony of how God used your own character traits to bring you to faith in, in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. God used my own makeup to bring me to faith in Christ. My own, in, inter, how do, what, what is that? Uh, when someone's eccentric, my own extrinsic. When someone is eccentric, my own eccentricities. Is that a word? Close enough. <laughs> God used even, even, you know, he used my makeup to draw me to himself. And in, in these verses, there are two wonderful character qualities in this man, Apollos. Apollos loved to teach, and he was gifted to do so. He was eager to do it. And Apollos, the second one is, and I think God used that to bring him to Jesus. And the second one is, Apollos was teachable. He was teachable. He, was, he grew up in a city that was known for learning. I can only imagine all that he learned there. And it says he was mighty in the Scriptures. And that just didn't happen by accident. Apollos would have had to study Paul writes to Timothy in another place, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Apollo studied. didn't happen by accident. It took time and effort. And it was about having approval before God. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. But he was teachable. And that tell, verse 26 tells us so much about this man, Apollos, and so much about Priscilla and Aquila, and so much about the veracity of the claims of Christ. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here is this man that we're looking at, that Scripture describes, this powerful speaker. And when Priscilla and Aquila approach him, a husband and wife, and say, Apollos, can we talk with you? And I think they invite him into their home. And they sit down and say, you're, you're doing a great job. Everything you're saying is true, but you need to know something. There's more you need to know about Jesus. And Apollos doesn't go, don't you know who I am? Can't you tell how everyone listens to me? No, Apollos is teachable. He's teachable. It's important to stay teachable. As much learning as he had, as eloquent as he was, as powerful he was in the Scriptures, as fervent as he was in the Spirit, he was still teachable. He only wanted to know the truth when it came to spiritual things and to share that truth with others. It is the greatest joy to get there. I don't care where the truth leads me when it comes to spiritual things. I just need to know what it is. I just need to know what it is. He was an instructed man. He would have sat at the feet of his teachers, and he was an instructor of men. And there are those that sat at his feet, hanging on every word. But this godly husband and wife, in the quietness of their home, bring Apollos to the feet of Jesus. The message this morning is pursue truth. Let the truth take you to Jesus. The truth should lead you to Jesus.
So three, three, I'm holding up two fingers, three elements of his education. He had a general education, he had a godly education. And the third one is he needed a Jesus education, and he gets that from Priscilla and Aquila. He gets a Jesus education from them. And two characteristics in this man. He was a teacher, he loved to teach, and he was teachable. And one driving force that I see in this man, and that's the pursuit of truth. The pursuit of truth should lead you to Jesus. People pursue truth with all kinds of things. We pursue truth with all kinds of things. You do it with your bank account, right? If you find out there's a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks missing from your bank account, that would stand out to you. One time, a bank gave me $15,000 more than I had, and it took a long time to give that back to them. It's a funny story. I'm not going to sidetrack on that, but we pursue truth when it comes to our bank account. You probably pursue truth when it comes to your paycheck, unless you're like me who doesn't look at it very closely, but you probably pursue truth when it comes to your paycheck. People pursue truth when it comes to sports. I don't think that ref called that right. People pursue truth when it comes to car troubles. When you take your car to the mechanic, you want them to fix it right the first time. Or if you're fixing it yourself, you don't want to just keep throwing parts at it. You want to diagnose it right the first time. People pursue truth when, they come, when it comes to your health. People pursue truth or desire truth when it comes to interpersonal relationships. You don't want to find out that the person you're closest to is not real with you, right? The pursuit of truth should land you at the feet of Jesus. It is remarkable how much effort is expended in learning all kinds of things and how little effort is expended in the pursuit of truth when it comes to spiritual things. Lord, I mean, the truth about what? Talking about pursuing truth. The truth about God. The truth about God. There is a God. We're accountable to Him. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He created everything. He is sustaining you right now. Your heart beating? Boom, 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 boom. Gift from God. The air coming in your nostrils and coming back out. Jesus Christ himself has given that to you. The ability to think, to see, to hear, gift from God. The fact that this building is still standing here right now and the sun's shining outside and there's not a meteor just taking us out right now, a gift from God. He is all-powerful. The truth about you. And he's good. God is good all the time. The truth about us. We're not good all the time. We're sinners. We sin. Even as believers, we sin. John writes in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to do it. And he's just to do it because of what Christ has done. Not because of our goodness, not because I'm so wonderful, 
He did it for Apollos. He did it for Paul. He did it for me. He did it for you. He's faithful and just to do it. The truth about our greatest need. What Apollos lacked was the teaching of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. These things convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And these are things we need to be convicted of. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And what Apollos was incomplete on was Christ in you, the hope of glory. He had a fervent spirit, but he needed the Holy Spirit. Aquila and Priscilla led him to faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. They explained the way of God more accurately. They told him precisely what he needed to know. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. Right there between verse 26 and verse 27, Apollos is saved. He's a saved man. And when, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had, been, who had believed rather through grace. As a brother in Christ, he is encouraged and recommended by the church for the ministry that he has on his heart. And what a help he must have been in Achaia. We know what a powerful ministry he had in Corinth, which is in Achaia. And this proves the veracity of Christ's claims. I started with that, those bold claims of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Here is this man that knows all of this about the Old Testament. Who learned it orally. Level by level by level by level. And people could recognize this man knows his stuff. Look what it says he was doing in verse 28. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures, by the Old Testament, that Jesus was, or is rather, Jesus is the Christ. Praise God. He took out the Old Testament and said, let me show you Jesus is the Christ. I love finding Jesus in the Old Testament. When I first got saved, every time I come across Jesus in the Old Testament, it was like, wow. First time I read Isaiah 53, wow. First time I read Isaiah 9-6, wow. Imagine what Apollos could have unfolded to people. This man who was so steeped in Old Testament theology proved from those scriptures that Jesus, who had died on the cross, was the Christ. The Jesus who was buried and whose body was not found because he is risen, Jesus is the Christ. And because that is true, because that is true, we have a sure hope, a certain hope and a sure foundation. Hey, I don't know what you'll do with this message today. But I encourage you to pursue truth and let it lead you to Jesus. Colossians 2.6, Paul writes to the Colossians, For just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. Paul is going to return to Ephesus in chapter 19, and he's going to have this powerful ministry there. It's going to last three years. But when we read of the church 
In, in Ephesus, in Revelation, it says what of them? They left their first love. They left their first love. Don't pursue truth just for the sake of truth. A head full of knowledge just for the sake of the knowledge. So you can argue with someone else about your knowledge and their knowledge. Don't do that. Pursue truth to the feet of Jesus. It's, it's the Martha and Mary analogy, right? In a longer form. Martha sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said to Martha, she has chosen, she has found something better. She has chosen the better. Let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this place we can meet in. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can follow truth and it will lead us to him. And thank you that we can follow Jesus and he will lead us into all truth. In his name I pray. Amen. Dennis has one more hymn for us, I think.